Dave Wurtson, our study leader, is in the midst of an exposition of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and as we rejoin the study, he is about to explain his view of two of the revelatory gifts, the gift of wisdom and the gift of knowledge. We want to go on with our discussion of spiritual gifts, vital parts of the body. And we got down to the area talking about the gift of the word of wisdom and the gift of the word of knowledge. And I wanted you to learn that those were inspirational gifts that were especially prominent in the Corinthian church. One of the things that we need to understand about the Corinthian church is that in the early 50s, 50 AD that is, as Paul was writing this letter, you did not have a completed New Testament revelation. And so it was necessary, in fact, it was right in that formative stage when the Holy Spirit would give gifts of inspiration. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, I believe in the Corinthian situation, were revelatory inspirational gifts. The word of wisdom we learned in the context of Corinthians was a gift that enabled an inspired prophet to give profound divine revelation concerning the meaning of the cross. We have access to that, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. You don't have to wait till Sunday morning to have a profound revelation from God concerning the meaning of the cross. You can find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. In fact, the whole Gospel of John brings out the wisdom of the cross, the wisdom of the resurrection. And so we're on a much firmer basis. I think that the Spirit of God applies the word of wisdom by illuminating our hearts today. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is in every one of your lives as believers so that you can open up the word of God and understand it and get a profound revelation from the Holy Scripture concerning the meaning of the cross. I've seen that happen in young believers, people that for years they'd open up their Bible and it didn't mean that much to them. Suddenly they become a born-again believer. They put all of their confidence for eternal life in Christ alone. Suddenly the Word of God begins to have meaning to them. And they have what we call illumination from the Spirit to understand the words of wisdom, the words of knowledge that were present. And so those two gifts in the Corinthian church, I believe, were revelatory gifts. In the modern church today, I believe that they should be illumination gifts that give us understanding into the Holy Scriptures. The next battery of Corinthian gifts are gifts of miracles or gifts of supernatural working. There are three of them that the Apostle Paul mentions. These were gifts in which God would use a member of the family of Corinth in a very powerful, supernatural way to do something which was out of the realm of just everyday natural law. In other words, it's something that transcended what usually happens in our everyday life. If you look at it here in 1 Corinthians, it says that in verse 9, to another, the gift of faith, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by one spirit, to another miraculous powers. Now those three gifts are related. And one of the things I want you to see is that Paul's point is to stress the unity of these different gifts. And it's a unity that in the Corinthian church they received these gifts 
not because they earned them, not because they were some special super, uh, super spiritual individual, but they received them as gifts from the Holy Spirit. Gracious, benevolent gifts, abilities from the Lord. Now, what was the gift of faith? Well, this wasn't the ability to trust in Christ because every believer receives that. Every one of you that have come to know Christ in a personal way have received the gift of faith in that sense. In other words, as you look back on your salvation, you made a choice. You heard the reality of Christ. You learned that He wasn't immoral. He wasn't ambivalent about His call. He wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a great Greek teacher. He was God come in the flesh. I believe that God's Spirit is using even conflict to bring clarity concerning our thinking about Jesus. Time Magazine wrote a major article summarizing the different debates about who is Jesus Christ. And what I want you as a believer to recognize is you need to be clear on who you think Jesus is. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a Jewish rabbi of the first century. He's not just a Greek philosopher. He's not just another Socrates. He's either a maniac, and if he isn't the Son of God, then very possibly he might have been an individual like was portrayed in the last temptation of Jesus. A liar, a deceiver, possibly even immoral. He was called illegitimate. His mom did think he was out of his mind. That's in the Gospel of John. Both his mom and his brothers thought Jesus was insane until they came to faith. So that shows you the sharp disparity even in the first century over who Jesus is. Now as we gather together, the major reason we're here is for you in your heart and for me with my heart to say, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you're God come in the flesh. I believe that you're the individual who loved me so much that you died on the cross and we're all on that dangerous brink because one second into eternity, we're either going to be safe in the arms of Jesus or we'll find out that this whole thing was a farce. Now that's scary. But all of us live on that brink of faith. And what I want you to know that is as you respond to the gift of faith you receive in salvation, that it brings great steadfastness in your life. I'm finding that the Spirit of God is a marvelous gift in your life. And even in times of doubt, I doubt, and I've read like what the Time Magazine article summarizes when I read through those different New Testament scholarly positions concerning who Jesus is, I could recognize almost all those different liberal theologians because I've read many of them. And I have doubted as I've read their material and I've wondered about the, the impact of the modern world upon the New Testament revelation. But I want to share with you from the depths of my soul, as a community of believers, we have received the gift of faith, the gift of salvation. And it's the most bottom-line reality in my life. It sustained me in facing death. It sustained me in facing life. And as a pastor-teacher, that's what I covet on the very deepest level for every single one of you and every single one of your loved ones. 
I promise you, if you live your lifetime believing in Jesus as revealed in the Holy Scriptures, when all your life is completed, you will have made the most real, the most truthful, the most genuine choice. Jesus, that's the, the gift of faith and salvation. Now, the gift of faith that's talked about here in Corinthians is a special gift, which I don't believe that I have, but I believe that some believers do have, and it's that ability to depend upon God in a special situation to work in a supernatural way. In fact, one of the clearest examples of the gift of faith in the Old Testament is found in Daniel chapter 3. If you'll turn there, you'll find an unbelievable evidence of the gift of faith in three fellows, which I think some of the children can tell us. Can anybody tell me, any of the kids tell me who was cast into the fiery furnace? Any of the children tell me who was cast into the fiery furnace? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were their Babylonian names. Uh, Cody, do you know their Jewish names? Uh, I don't think that that's not a fair question. We remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Does anybody remember the Jewish names? Any adults remember the Jewish names? You're all a bunch of Babylonians. No, I'm only teasing you. We don't usually hear the Jewish names. Hananiah, which means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael means who is what the Lord is. Mishael, then we got Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah means Yahweh helps, and, and um, maybe, maybe I'll forget him too. Ananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Yeah, there are, that's it. I got him. <laughs> and Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge. That's what I was thinking of the four, obviously. Okay, there are two great Jewish names. These three fellows in Daniel chapter 3, it's a story of the burning of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which turns out to be a great deliverance. Remember the scene? Nebuchadnezzar decided that God wasn't right in Daniel chapter 2. He didn't want to be just the head of gold, but he wanted to be the entire image. So he gathers all the leaders of the Babylonian, Medo, the Babylonian Empire uh, on the plains of Dura, sets up a 90-foot statue, tells everyone to bow when the music plays. When the music plays, three men stay standing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar sees these guys standing and he decides, you know, let's take it from the top again. Maybe you guys didn't understand what was going on. I'll play the music again, bow down, and everything will be fine. They say, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to even deliberate in this, in this issue. If you look at it in verse 16, we, read, we pick up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response to Nebuchadnezzar's second attempt to get them to bow down to the image. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Now that's the gift of faith. Facing a 2,000 degree furnace that would fry you and incinerate you in just a split second of time. In fact, it was so hot, it destroyed the guys that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. When you face a furnace like that, and they say, bow or burn, and you say, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, that's the gift of faith. It's one of the clearest examples of that. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had it. And notice what they say to them. Our God whom we serve is able to save us and he will rescue us from your hand. 
Now notice what they say next. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold which you've set up. Now that's where the gift of faith biblically is clarified. Many people have the idea that the gift of faith is claiming that God will do exactly what you ask him to do. And the way that you get God to do that is by believing that for sure he'll do what you tell him to do. For example, if I have a terrible illness, a lot of people have the idea that the gift of faith is for me to believe that God will absolutely heal me in this situation. So I begin to pray. And I begin to get my faith to become stronger. And I believe more and more God's going to heal me. And the test of whether or not God heals me or not is how strong my faith is. In other words, if I have enough faith, God puts it on a scale. If I believe in him enough, then God works the miracle. If I don't have enough faith, then sorry, gang, you missed out. You didn't have enough. Now, brothers and sisters, that is not the gift of faith. That is the deception of magic. Now, I want to make that very clear because many of you could be wounded deeply. There are the wreckage and ruins of so-called believers all over the countryside out there. Some of you are sitting right in this audience today. You've been terribly hurt. Because you faced a great crisis in your life. Maybe a financial crisis. Maybe it was a physical crisis. Maybe it was some kind of a family crisis. And you believed with all your heart that God would do something. And he didn't. And it crashed your faith. Now the challenge is this. The challenge is to listen carefully to what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. Did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believe that God could deliver them from the fiery furnace? Tell me. Yes, they did. They had faith in the character and in the power of God. And that's what the gift of faith is. I want to share with you something. I believe, and this goes right over into the gift of healing and in the gift of supernatural workings or the gift of miracles. I want to share with you from the bottom of my heart that I believe God can do anything he wants to do. That God has the power. For example, if I get terminal cancer, I believe with all of my heart that God has the power to raise me up, to heal my body. I believe that he can do that without a shadow of a doubt. I believe that he can heal any of the diseases that you face. He has the power to do that. And the gift of faith is having a God who has that kind of power. And the God of the Bible does have that kind of power. In fact, the God of the Bible promises you much more than that he's going to heal you of some of your physical ailments down here. The God of the Bible says he's going to give you a whole new body. He's going to transform the body you got. He doesn't promise you just 70 years of relative health. He promised you an eternity with an everlasting body. That's the kind of a character that he has. The gift of faith is believing in the character of God. Now, there are moments, there are times. For example, I think that James chapter 5 might speak about one of those moments. Sometimes, someone in the body of Christ will be ill. 
Sometimes they're ill, to make it very concrete, because like the Corinthians, maybe they were abusing the Lord's Supper. Or maybe they were wandering away from the Lord. They fell into sin. And the Lord, the Lord didn't cause the sickness, but because they were wandering away from the Lord, the Lord let them outside the bonds, but the bounds of his protection. And so a believer can become very ill. In fact, a believer can come very close to death or even die if he stays in that hardened, unrepentant state against the Lord. Sometimes that believer in that very ill, weakened condition will repent. They'll come to their senses like the prodigal. They'll look up and say, oh God, I need you. And the scripture says that we need to call for the elders of the church in that particular case. And the elders of the church can come. And James tells us that if there has been sin, it will be forgiven as that individual confesses their sin to the Lord and also openly to his spiritual leaders or her spiritual leaders. I've been in situations where under those conditions, and that's not the only reason that you call for the elders to pray for you, but in that particular situation where, we, where you can see a very direct correlation between hardened, unrepentant sin, the discipline of God producing illness, repentance, sometimes the Lord can give the gift of faith to a group of spiritual leaders, the gift of healing, that they would know that God is going to restore that individual. And what it does is as a group of elders begin to pray, men that are walking close to the Lord, that believe in the character of God, the Lord gives them a solid conviction as they are moved by the Holy Spirit for healing. And that would be an example of the gift of faith, God supernaturally working to produce a restoration and the gift of healing. Now this is the crunch. There's many people that will tell you that if God doesn't come through, it's your fault. You didn't have enough faith. You didn't say the right words. You weren't in the right place. And when you're ill, when you're hurting, when you're in pain, you'll do just about anything. You'll grasp at anything to be able to get deliverance and help. And you're very easily manipulated at that point. And that's when you need to remember what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. And I want to share with you from the bottom of my heart, it's not easy. What happens when you pray and the Lord doesn't come through? And I've been there. I remember like when we got the word that John in his heart surgery, when Mary's brother was operated on that third time. And that night we got the word that John was doing fine. I share with all the group, John is fine. We went to bed that night. I told Mary before we went to bed, John's going to be fine. Five o'clock in the morning, Mary's father calls. He's plunging. All of his vital signs are, are deteriorating. And that terrible thud, all that expectancy, all that rejoicing, God, you worked such a great miracle. He's going to recover. He's going to be able to be with us for a time. And suddenly you get another call that says he's gone. Then what do you do? And that's where the real gift of faith comes in. Because faith is not my manipulation. You see, I, it, was, it was audacious of me. And God's not spanking me. He's not upset with me. We all have to learn. 
It was audacious of me to tell Mary, John will be fine. It wasn't audacious of me to say that John would be fine. It was audacious to me to say that, God would, that John would be fine according to my definitions of fineness, which was that he would stay living on this planet with a weakened heart, but it would still last a little bit longer. You see, that was the audacious part because that wasn't what God was going to do. And that's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's words are so powerful because they said, even if he doesn't deliver us, what they meant by us, even if he doesn't deliver us from this flame, he still will rescue us. And we will not bow to you because to not bow to the living God would be to destroy our existence. And even if he destroys us, like Job said, even if he takes away our physical life, we will still trust him because he's the only eternal king that can take us into eternity and give us a place of peace and happiness and joy. Now, brothers and sisters, that's what real faith is all about. It's not manipulating the deity like a shaman does to get what you want. It's not magic. It's not just positive thinking. It's so much more real than that. And my heart goes out so strongly because I can't help you. In other words, I can't cause you to have that kind of understanding. But what I want to share with you from the bottom of my heart, the real God of the universe will never be manipulated. He'll never get into this situation where you ask him to do something and he'll prove himself by doing it. And so you just keep going, Lord, I want to get well. Lord, I want a new Cadillac. Lord, I want $100,000 a year. Lord, I want to have perfect health for 80 years. The Lord's not going to play that game with you. You know why? He's just much greater than that. And he's working a much more mysterious, profound, omniscient plan. You know what he's going to tell you? He's going to tell you, I'm God your Father, and I can do all things. Trust me. With these three gifts, the gift of faith, which is that ability to believe, that God can work in a supernatural way. It was Peter's ability to look at a cripple going into the gate beautiful and say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he walked. And Peter authenticated his apostolic gift, which according to 2 Corinthians 12, 12, one of the evidences that we can be sure that the New Testament does give us an accurate picture of Jesus is because the apostles authenticated their word it was in conformity with the Old Testament revelation and it was verified by the signs and wonders which the Old Testament predicted that the prophets would be able to do, that the Messiah would be able to do. Now, I believe that God does still do that from time to time. And I believe that I've seen it right in our own ministry here. But I don't believe he does it in a flamboyant, enthusiastic way necessarily. I don't think that it has to be in special places or special times or special buildings. I think it can take place right in your own heart. And I want us to have a real balance about healing. In fact, I believe that praying for healing should be a very important part of our worship together. And I would encourage any of you, if you want the elders to pray for you, we've done it several times. According to James chapter 5, we would be glad to do that for you. But I also want to make it clear that we need to have the gift of faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
that even if he doesn't deliver us, yet will we trust him because we will believe that he is still working out his purpose. Now, some of you have said, to use one of the most powerful illustrations that sometimes faith healers, so-called faith healers, that you, know, you know what I'm talking about. One of the most powerful illustrations they'll use goes like this. If Joshua, my son, or Janae, my daughter, any one of my kids, was sick with a terrible, terrible illness, as a daddy, I went into their room and I had the power to make them well. Would not it be the will of me as a daddy to raise my child up from that bed of illness? Now that's a very powerful argument because it's very emotional and I've been there and many of you have been there. If you have a child at all, Don and Betty were telling me just last night about a time with Rick, I think it was, where he had croup horribly. And they went through those terrible, scary times, you know, when the child can't breathe and you're frantically trying to call the doctor and the child's turning blue, you know, because it doesn't have enough oxygen. Now, under those circumstances, what daddy would not raise their son up from a bed of illness? And that's a powerful argument. The only problem with it is the perspective is off. The issue is if I were a daddy that could take my son to live in a land where he would never be tempted again, he would never have to do battle with the evil one again, he could live not just by faith in my presence, but he could actually see me for the rest of forever. And I could show him all the wonders of my eternal kingdom. What daddy wouldn't take the child home? Perspective, only this life or eternity. This is the issue that real faith never forgets. Dave will pick it up at this point next week, and I am sure some of you have powerful questions about this issue of why God chooses sometimes not to heal. Hope you'll be able to join us for the conclusion of this study.